0: Section 27 of Jean Christophe, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joshua Seeger in Chicago. Jean Christophe, Volume 1, by Romain Roland. Translated by Gilbert Kanan. Youth 2, Part 1. 2. Sabine. He went home. He shut himself up in his room and never stirred for several days. He only went out even into the town when he was compelled. He was fearful of ever going out beyond the gates and venturing forth into the fields. He was afraid of once more falling in with the soft, maddening breath that had blown upon him like a rushing wind during a calm in a storm. He thought that the walls of the town might preserve him from it. He never dreamed that for the enemy to slip within, there needed be only the smallest crack in the closed shutters, no more than is needed for a peep out. In a wing of the house, on the other side of the yard, there lodged on the ground floor a young woman of twenty, some months a widow, with a little girl, Frau Sabine Froelich was also a tenant of old Oilers. She occupied the shop which opened on to the street, and she had as well two rooms looking on to the yard, together with a little patch of garden, marked off from the Oilers by a wire fence, up which Ivy climbed. They did not often see her. The child used to play down in the garden from morning to night making mud pies, and the garden was left to itself, to the great distress of old Eustace, who loved tidy paths and neatness in the beds. He had tried to bring the matter to the attention of his tenant, but that was probably why she did not appear, and the garden was not improved by it. Frau Frolich kept a little draper's shop, which might have had customers enough, thanks to its position in a street of shops in the centre of the town, but she did not bother about it any more than about her garden. Instead of doing her housework herself, as, according to Frau Vogel, every self-respecting woman ought to do, especially when she is in circumstances which do not permit, much less excuse, idleness, she had hired a little servant, a girl of fifteen, who came in for a few hours in the morning to clean the rooms and look after the shop, while the young woman lay in bed, or dawdled over her toilet Christophe used to see her sometimes through his windows walking about her room with bare feet in her long nightgown or sitting for hours together before her mirror for she was so careless that she used to forget to draw her curtains and when she saw him she was so lazy that she could not take the trouble to go and lower them Christophe, more modest than she would leave the window so as not to incommode her but the temptation was great he would blush a little and steal a glance at her bare arms which were rather thin as she drew them languidly around her flowing hair and with her hands clasped behind her head lost herself in a dream until they were numbed and then she would let them fall christophe would pretend that he only saw these pleasant sights inadvertently As he happened to pass the window and that they did not disturb him in his musical thoughts but he liked it and in the end he wasted as much time in watching frau Sabina as she did over her toilet not that she was a coquette she was rather careless generally and did not take anything like the meticulous care with her appearance that Amalia or Rosa did if she dawdled in front of her dressing-table it was from pure laziness every time she put in a pin she had to rest from the effort of it while she made little piteous faces at herself in the mirrors she was never quite properly dressed at the end of the day often her servant used to go before sabina was ready and a customer would ring the shop bell she would let him ring and call once or twice before she could make up her mind to get up from her chair she would go down smiling and never hurrying never hurrying would look for the article required. And, if she could not find it after looking for some time, or even, as happened sometimes, if she had to take too much trouble to reach it, as, for instance, taking the ladder from one end of the shop to the other, she would say calmly that she did not have it in stock, and as she never bothered to put her stock in order, or to order more of the articles of which she had run out, Her customers used to lose patience and go elsewhere, but she never minded. How could you be angry with such a pleasant creature who spoke so sweetly and was never excited about anything? She did not mind what anybody said to her, and she made this so plain that those who began to complain never had the courage to go on. They used to go, answering her charming smile with a smile, but they never came back she never bothered about it she went on smiling she was like a little Florentine figure her well-marked eyebrows were arched her gray eyes were half open behind the curtain of her lashes the lower eyelid was a little swollen with a little crease below it her little finely drawn nose turned up slightly at the end another little curve lay between it and her upper lip which curled up above her half open mouth in a weary smile her lower lip was a little thick the lower part of her face was rounded and had the serious expression of the little virgins of Filippo lippi her complexion was a little muddy her hair was light brown always untidy and done up in a slovenly chignon she was slight of figure small boned and her movements were lazy dressed carelessly a gaping bodice buttons missing ugly worn shoes always looking a little slovenly she charmed by her grace and youth her gentleness her instinctively coaxing ways when she appeared to take the air at the door of her shop the young men who passed used to look at her with pleasure and although she did not bother about them she noticed it none the less Always, then, she wore that grateful and glad expression which is in the eyes of all women when they know that they have been seen with sympathetic eyes. It seemed to say, Thank you. Again. Look at me again. But though it gave her pleasure to please, her indifference would never let her make the smallest effort to please. She was an object of scandal to the Euler Vogels. Everything about her offended them, her indolence, the untidiness of her house, the carelessness of her dress, her polite indifference to their remarks, her perpetual smile, the impertinent serenity with which she had accepted her husband's death, her child's illnesses, her straitened circumstances, the great and small annoyances of her daily life. While nothing could change one jot of her favourite habits or her eternal longing, everything about her offended them. And the worst of all was that, as she was, she did give pleasure. Frau Vogel could not forgive her that. It was almost as though Sabina did it on purpose, on purpose, ironically, to set at naught by her conduct the great traditions, the true principles, the savourless duty the pleasureless labor, the restlessness, the noise, the quarrels, the mooning ways, the healthy pessimism which was the motive power of the Euler family, as it is that of all respectable persons, and made their life a foretaste of purgatory. That a woman who did nothing but dawdle about all the blessed day should take upon herself to defy them with her calm insolence, while they bore their suffering in silence like galley-slaves, and that people should approve of her into the bargain, that was beyond the limit. That was enough to turn you against respectability. Fortunately, thank God, there were still a few sensible people left in the world. Frau Vogel consoled herself with them. They exchanged remarks about the little widow and spied on her through her shutters, such gossip was the joy of the family when they met at supper Christoph would listen absently he was so used to hearing the fogels set themselves up as censors of their neighbors that he never took any notice of it besides he knew nothing of frau Spina except her bare neck and arms and though they were pleasing enough they did not justify his coming to a definite opinion about her however he was conscious of a kindly feeling towards her and in a contradictory spirit he was especially grateful to her for displeasing frau vogel after dinner in the evening when it was very hot it was impossible to stay in the stifling yard where the sun shone the whole afternoon the only place in the house where it was possible to breathe was the rooms looking into the street Euler and his son-in-law used sometimes to go and sit on the doorstep with Louisa. Frau Vogel and Rosa would only appear for a moment. They were kept by their housework. Frau Vogel took a pride in showing that she had no time for dawdling, and she used to say, loudly enough to be overheard, that all the people sitting there and yawning on their doorsteps, without doing a stitch of work, got on her nerves. As she could not, to her sorrow, compel them to work, she would pretend not to see them, and would go in and work furiously. Rosa thought she must do likewise. Euler and Vogel would discover draughts everywhere, and fearful of catching cold, would go up to their rooms. They used to go to bed early and would have thought themselves ruined had they changed the least of their habits after nine o'clock. Only Louisa and Christophe would be left. Louisa spent the day in her room, and in the evening Christophe used to take pains to be with her, whenever he could, to make her take the air. If she were left alone, she would never go out. The noise of the street frightened her. Children were always chasing each other with shrill cries. All the dogs of the neighborhood took it up and barked. The sound of a piano came up, a little farther off a clarinet, and in the next street a cornet a pistone voices chattered People came and went and stood in groups in front of their houses Louisa would have lost her head if she had been left alone in all the uproar But when her son was with her it gave her pleasure The noise would gradually die down the children and the dogs would go to bed first The groups of people would break up the air would become more pure silence would descend upon the street Louisa would tell in her thin voice the little scraps of news that she had heard from Amalia or Rosa She was not greatly interested in them But she never knew what to talk about to her son and she felt the need of keeping in touch with him of saying something to him and Christophe who felt her need would pretend to be interested in everything she said But he did not listen He was off in vague dreams, turning over in his mind the doings of the day. One evening, when they were sitting there, while his mother was talking, he saw the door of the draper's shop open. A woman came out silently and sat in the street. Her chair was only a few yards from Louisa. She was sitting in the darkest shadow. Christophe could not see her face, but he recognized her. His dreams vanished. The air seemed sweeter to him. Louisa had not noticed Sabina's presence, and went on with her chatter in a low voice. Christophe paid more attention to her, and he felt impelled to throw out a remark here and there, to talk, perhaps to be heard. The slight figure sat there without stirring, a little limp, with her legs lightly crossed, and her hands lying crossed in her lap. She was looking straight in front of her, and seemed to hear nothing louisa was overcome with drowsiness she went in christophe said he would stay a little longer it was nearly ten the street was empty the people were going indoors the sound of the shops being shut was heard the lighted windows winked and then were dark again one or two were still lit then they were blotted out silence they were alone they did not look at each other they held their breath they seemed not to be aware of each other from the distant fields came the smell of the new-mown hay and from a balcony in a house nearby the scent of a pot of cloves no wind stirred above their heads was the milky way to their right red jupiter above a chimney charles's wane bent its axles in the pale green sky its stars flowered like daisies From the bells of the parish church eleven o'clock rang out and was caught up by all the other churches with their voices clear or muffled and from the houses by the dim chiming of the clock or husky cuckoos they awoke suddenly from their dreams and got up at the same moment and just as they were going indoors they both bowed without speaking Christophe went up to his room he lighted his candle and sat down by his desk with his head in his hands, and stayed so for a long time without a thought. Then he sighed and went to bed. Next day when he got up, mechanically he went to his window to look down into Sabina's room. But the curtains were drawn. They were drawn the whole morning. They were drawn ever after. Next evening Christophe proposed to his mother that they should go again to sit by the door. He did so regularly. Louisa was glad of it. She did not like his shutting himself up in his room immediately after dinner, with the window and shutters closed. The little silent shadow never failed to come and sit in its usual place. They gave each other a quick nod, which Louisa never noticed. Christophe would talk to his mother. Sabine would smile at her little girl, playing in the street. About nine she would go and put her to bed. And would then return noiselessly if she stayed a little Christophe would begin to be afraid that she would not come back he would listen for sounds in the house the laughter of the little girl who would not go to sleep he would hear the rustling of Sabine's dress before she appeared on the threshold of the shop then he would look away and talk to his mother more eagerly sometimes he would feel that Sabine was looking at him in turn He would furtively look at her, but their eyes would never meet. The child was a bond between them. She would run about in the street with other children. They would find amusement in teasing a good-tempered dog sleeping there with his nose in his paws. He would cock a red eye and at last would emit a growl of boredom. Then they would fly this way and that, screaming in terror and happiness. The little girl would give piercing shrieks and look behind her as though she were being pursued. She would throw herself into Louisa's lap, and Louisa would smile fondly. She would keep the child and question her, and so she would enter into conversation with Sabine. Christophe never joined in. He never spoke to Sabine. Sabine never spoke to him. By tacit agreement, they pretended to ignore each other but he never lost a word of what they said as they talked over him. His silence seemed unfriendly to Louisa. Sabine never thought it so, but it would make her shy, and she would grow confused in her remarks. Then she would find some excuse for going in. For a whole week Louisa kept indoors for a cold. Christophe and Sabine were left alone. The first time they were frightened by it. Sabine to seem at her ease took her little girl on her knees and loaded her with caresses Christophe was embarrassed and did not know whether he ought to go on ignoring what was happening at his side It became difficult Although they had not spoken a single word to each other. They did know each other thanks to Louisa He tried to begin several times, but the words stuck in his throat Once more the little girl extricated them from their difficulty. She played hide-and-seek and and went round Christophe's chair. He caught her as she passed and kissed her. He was not very fond of children, but it was curiously pleasant to him to kiss the little girl. She struggled to be free, for she was busy with her game. He teased her. She bit his hands. He let her fall. Sabine laughed. They looked at the child And exchanged a few trivial words then Christophe tried he thought he must to enter into conversation but he had nothing very much to go upon and Sabine did not make his task any the easier she only repeated what he said it is a fine evening yes it is a very fine evening impossible to breathe in the yard yes the yard was stifling conversation became very difficult Sabine discovered that it was time to take the little girl in, and went in herself, and she did not appear again. Christophe was afraid she would do the same on the evenings that followed, and that she would avoid being left alone with him, as long as Luisa was not there. But on the contrary, the next evening Sabine tried to resume their conversation. She did so deliberately, rather than for pleasure. She was obviously taking a great deal of trouble to find subjects of conversation— and bored with the questions she put, questions and answers came between heartbreaking silences. Christophe remembered his first interviews with Otto, but with Sabine their subjects were even more limited than then, and she had not Otto's patience. When she saw the small success of her endeavors, she did not try any more. She had to give herself too much trouble, and she lost interest in it. She said no more, and he followed her lead. And then there was sweet peace again the night was calm once more and they returned to their inward thoughts Sabine rocked slowly in her chair dreaming Christophe also was dreaming they said nothing after half an hour Christophe began to talk to himself and in a low voice cried out with pleasure in the delicious scent brought by the soft wind that came from a cart of strawberries Sabine said a word or two in reply Again they were silent. They were enjoying the charm of these indefinite silences and trivial words. Their dreams were the same. They had but one thought. They did not know what it was. They did not admit it to themselves. At eleven they smiled and parted. Next day they did not even try to talk. They resumed their sweet silence. At long intervals a word or two let them know that they were thinking of the same things, "'Sabine began to laugh. "'How much better it is,' she said, "'not to try to talk. "'One thinks one must, and it is so tiresome.' "'Ah,' said Christophe with conviction, "'if only everybody thought the same.' "'They both laughed. "'They were thinking of Frau Vogel. "'Poor woman,' said Sabine. "'How exhausting she is! "'She is never exhausted.' "'replied Christophe gloomily. "'She was tickled by his manner and his jest. "'You think it amusing?' he asked. "'That is easy for you. You are sheltered.' "'So I am,' said Sabine. "'I lock myself in.' "'She had a little soft laugh that hardly sounded. "'Christophe heard it with delight in the calm of the evening. "'He snuffed the fresh air luxuriously. "'Ah, it is good to be silent,' he said, stretching his limbs.' And talking is no use, said she. Yes, returned Christophe. We understand each other so well. They relapsed into silence. In the darkness, they could not see each other. They were both smiling. And yet, though they felt the same when they were together, or imagined that they did, in reality they knew nothing of each other. Sabine did not bother about it. Christophe was more curious. One evening he asked her, "'Do you like music?' "'No,' she said simply. "'It bores me. I don't understand it.' Her frankness charmed him. He was sick of the lies of people who said that they were mad about music, and were bored to death when they heard it, and it seemed to him almost a virtue not to like it, and to say so. He asked if Sabine read. "'No. She had no books. He offered to lend her his.' "'Serious books?' she asked uneasily. Not serious books, if she did not want them. Poetry. But those are serious books. Novels, then, she pouted. They don't interest you? Yes, she was interested in them, but they were always too long. She never had the patience to finish them. She forgot the beginning, skipped chapters, and then lost the thread. And then she threw the book away. Fine interest you take. Bah, enough for a story that is not true. She kept her interest for better things than books. For the theatre, then? No, no. Didn't she go to the theatre? No, it was too hot. There were too many people. So much better at home. The lights tired her eyes, and the actors were so ugly. He agreed with her in that. "'But there were other things in the theatre, the play, for instance.' "'Yes,' she said, absently, "'but I have no time.' "'What do you do all day?' she smiled. "'There is so much to do.' "'True,' said he. "'There is your shop.' "'Oh,' she said calmly, "'that does not take much time. "'Your little girl takes up your time, then?' "'Oh, no, poor child. She is very good and plays by herself. Then, he begged pardon for his indiscretion, but she was amused by it. There are so many things. What things? She could not say. All sorts of things. Getting up, dressing, thinking of dinner, cooking dinner, eating dinner, thinking of supper, cleaning her room, and then the day was over, and besides— You must have a little time for doing nothing. And you are not bored? Never. Even when you are doing nothing? Especially when I am doing nothing. It is much worse doing something. That bores me. They looked at each other and laughed. You are very happy, said Christophe. I can't do nothing. It seems to me that you know how. I have been learning lately. Ah! "'Well, you'll learn.' "'When he left off talking to her, "'he was at his ease and comfortable. "'It was enough for him to see her. "'He was rid of his anxieties and irritations "'and the nervous trouble that made him sick at heart. "'When he was talking to her, he was beyond care, "'and so when he thought of her. "'He dared not admit it to himself, "'but as soon as he was in her presence, "'he was filled with a delicious, soft emotion That brought him almost to unconsciousness. At night he slept as he had never done. End of section twenty seven.